Thank you, guys. Um, on behalf of the staff and everyone, I'd like to wish you a happy 100% card markup day. I mean, Father's Day. Um, Derek, come up here. Derek used to be the youth pastor here at Church of the Palms before Jeff came. Derek's also one of the members of our mobile preacher network. He works in the area of human trafficking. And the reason I asked him to come up is he has the greatest Father's Day gift. It's a tie, but show him the other reversible. side. Reversible. Reversible tie. Color. It goes in two different colors. And this is blue and this is green. If I remember correctly, there's other colors you can add to them to have more opportunities for colors as the years go by. Goodbye. Exactly, yeah. Fantastic. Your kids made that for you? Yes, they did, yes. Isn't that an awesome yeah, gift? I love that. Spared no expense. Yes, they spared yeah. no expense. So we love Derek, and we're glad he's part of our fellowship here. We've been talking about Philippians. By the way, my name is Joe Davis. I'm the lead teaching pastor here at the Garden. Again this week, forgive my voice. If I cough a little bit, I'll try to give Mike a little signal so you don't get blasted out in your ears. <coughs> that, was, that was a test run right there. That was good. <laughs> but um, we've been talking about with love from prison. And we've been discussing how Paul wrote this incredible love letter to the church at Philippi while he was in chains, while he was probably in a dank, dark cave, uh, suffering, and facing pending death. And so he was in the midst of some very difficult times in his life. And last week we talked about how he taught us how to love in truth based upon that common ground of the gospel. <clears throat> this week we're talking about loving in suffering. Now, if you guys remember correctly, there was a concept that we talked about in James a while back. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet various trials of different kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces patience or steadfastness, and let patience have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. <clears throat> and so James, we talked about this for almost three months. We talked about the book of James. And one of the things that James taught us is this, that in reality, suffering and difficulty is what produces growth. And we understand that. We don't like that. Why can't we have growth in good times? That'd be great, right? Well, if that's the case, some of us would never grow, right? Because it seems like life is always giving us difficulty. <clears throat> but James says that there is an opportunity for growth in patience and perfection. And in the midst of lacking in the midst of suffering in the midst of not having the things that you need to be comfortable he says in those points you can be made perfect and shown that you actually are lacking in nothing so we're going to take that concept and apply it to what paul teaches us in philippians see what is natural and certainly even expected right is that in the midst of our suffering it should by nature turn our attention inward and it even can produce in your own mind expectations that others should turn their focus toward you as well, right? So when we're going through suffering, we want people to know that we're suffering so they can comfort us, and we also want to comfort ourselves. And in the midst of really hard trials, 
it's hard to see the world around you, right? Because your suffering and your, and your trial is demanding 100% of your attention, of your energy, your finances, your emotions. However, <coughs> what we should aspire to is the supernatural ability to even in the midst, right, of painful suffering and hardship, we should begin to have the ability to begin to see how that suffering can be used by God to benefit our brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul had a grasp of this concept as he suffered in prison, facing execution. Now, we know that Paul's suffering in prison was based upon the fact that he had been preaching the gospel. But I want you to know that I don't believe that the concepts that we're teaching today are limited just to suffering as a result of the gospel. I believe these concepts can be applied to any and all suffering that happens in our lives. Even suffering that is brought about as a consequence of our own depravity. Suffering that's brought about by the consequence of other people's depravity. Suffering that's brought about by the consequences of the world's depravity or society's depravity. So let's look at the passage today. I've broken it down to about three slides because it's a big passage. So I'm going to read it and do this for me. Some of you may be like me and you have severe ADD. Try to follow along. I tried to make the font big enough so you think it's small. But there's three other screens, so... <coughs> I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. What had happened to him? He was in prison, facing death. So that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. To the latter, they do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. Stop there for a minute. Here's what Paul says. The things that have happened to me are of great benefit to the kingdom. And it's emboldened many brothers to preach. Some of them preach for the wrong reasons. Some of them are preaching, hurting me, saying clearly, Paul is not doing the right thing because God is punishing him. Some are doing it for the right reasons. But I don't care. The name of Christ is being spoken. What an amazing thought process in the midst of suffering, is it not? And watch what he says next. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death death. Let's think about that phrase for a minute. No matter what, 
because of your prayers, because of your support, I know I will not be ashamed, and Christ will be honored in my body. In other words, in my whole fabric, my whole being, whether I live or whether my head is chopped off, Christ will be honored. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Look at the value system this guy has in the midst of this hardship, huh? If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So, as we look at this passage, what we see is a man whose value system has been radically transformed in the midst of suffering. And he says some amazing things, and we're going to break it down, just like you know how we like to do in here when we're looking at a passage of Scripture. We like it to break it down verse by verse and section by section. And the first thing I want you to see is that when you love your church family, we as believers have something that unbelievers cannot have. Listen carefully. We have the ability to see that our suffering does incredible things. First of all, it can inspire others. We see that in chapter, uh, in, in that, in chapter 1, verse 12 through 14. He says, there are a lot of people who have had increased boldness because of me being in prison. When you are going through difficulty, when people see the way God works in your life, did you know that you can inspire others? I mean, it's easy to think of yourself as an inspiration when you're successful, right? It's easy to be inspiring when you're successful. It takes maturity and wisdom and discernment to be an inspiration when you're struggling. Another thing that he talks about is how his suffering has expanded the message. In verse 15 to 18, he says, there's some people preaching it for the wrong reasons, there's some people preaching it for the right reasons, but I know this, because of my suffering, more people know the name of Jesus than they did before I suffered. So your suffering can inspire others, and in verse 15 to 18, it teaches us it can expand the message it also can increase reliance on prayer. And he says, I know I'm confident of this thing. With your prayers through the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, I know that I will not be ashamed. I will be made whole. I will be made right. And I will get through this time. And I know that because of your prayers, this suffering will not be in vain. But in fact, this suffering will bring tremendous gain to the kingdom but I am reliant on you and your prayers to help me get through. <clears throat> and in the midst of suffering, something strange does happen. People who don't really like prayer that much all of a sudden find this strange, unexplainable comfort in the fact that those around them are mentioning their name in prayer to Heavenly Dad, right? As a pastor, I can tell you every week, Joe, can you please pray for this? Can you please pray for that? 
And why? It's because people recognize that suffering brings a reliance on prayer. <clears throat> you know what else it does? It reshapes your priorities. Paul says, look, I am hard-pressed. I would love to go to heaven. I'd love to be with my Jesus. But I also don't mind being here with you because I know if I live, you further along in your growth. If I die, I get great gain. And I'm really struggling with this choice as I sit here in prison ready to lose my head. I would really love to be with you but I would so love to be out of these chains, out of this wet cave, out of this wet dungeon, and I would love to be with my Jesus. But nevertheless, as much as I want to be with Jesus, I'm not going to take my own life. I'm going to fight to live. I'm not going to give up because I know my suffering is good for you. Paul makes his suffering a gift. Paul makes his hardship a present, an opportunity. You know, Paul loved them so much that he was willing to live in hardship and suffering if it meant the gospel would be furthered and their faith would be strengthened. And the fact of the matter is, it's a difficult thing to step outside the real world the painful world the world of personal suffering and think about how that suffering can be used by heavenly dad to bless others in your church in fact the only way is if you understand the depths of God's sovereignty Paul talked about this concept And we know that all things, and we know that all, that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. Some translations say the called. For those who he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order there, there might be the firstborn among many brothers. What Paul teaches here is this, and we know that in good times, and in bad, all things work together for good to those who are called, to those who are foreknown, predestined to be conformed, so that they can become the firstborn among many people. And what Paul is trying to explain is this. You have to have confidence in the fact that no matter what happens in your life, no matter how hard it may be, no matter how heavy it may be, no matter how painful, no matter how expensive, no matter how costly, no matter how widespread, all Things work together for good to those who are called so that he can produce many brothers and sisters. So there's a concept of God's sovereignty that is important to acknowledge and to understand if you're going to experience this miraculous transformation of suffering into gift, of hardship into prayer, of trial into love. Without confidence in God's sovereignty, you can't trust the outcome. 
without confidence in the fact that knowing that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it, you cannot grasp the aspect of loving in suffering. <clears throat> you see, what you have to recognize is your life as a child of God, including your suffering, is not for you. It's for all of us. When you go through chemotherapy, it's not just for you. It's for us. When you lose your job and you struggle with faith and trust in God, it's not just for you. It's for us. When you lose a child, it's not just for you. It's for us. When you lose a close family member, it's not just for you. It's for us. Your suffering is not for you. It's for us. Because if we can really understand this concept of loving in suffering, we first recognize that Jesus teaches us through James that suffering produces greater faith. And then we begin to recognize that my suffering, as God works through it in my life, can inspire, strengthen, motivate, create reliance, It takes faith in the sovereign hand of God and the all things work together for good thing to really understand this. It brings reality to the idea of consider it a joyful thing when you go through difficult times. I mean, this is crazy stuff, isn't it? It's nuts, right? It's so unnatural. And what does Paul say? I want to go home but I'll stay for your benefit. See, when a believer goes through suffering, we have this supernatural ability to think outside the realm of our pain and see how in the midst of our suffering, we can love those around us. You know, I can't totally verbalize this in one small pithy statement. All I can do is draw on my own experience with this miraculous concept. And without our family's tragedy that we went through several years ago, I'm confident, had we not lost our daughter, Sarah, there would never have been a nightlife. I would not have been a part of the garden. I wouldn't know most of you. But even during the midst of our pain, My wife and I knew that God had not called us just to lose a child. But he had called us through our suffering to serving. To living for the kingdom in a new and fresh way. That we never could have imagined or dreamed of before. And in the midst of our suffering, God brought brothers and sisters around us that enabled us to take a new path in life, to increase our effectiveness, to inspire others, to bring light to the fact that Christ was our strength. <clears throat> and I could never really verbalize it. I would struggle trying to explain to people how, well, you know, 
yes, of course we miss our daughter. We wish you were still here, but we wouldn't be who we are. My wife had the best way of putting it. Here's what she said when we were talking. I forget who we were talking to, but it was several years ago. Here's what she said. Suffering enables you to live life in a new way with a perspective that allows you to have one foot in this world and one foot in eternity. You hear that? That was the best way to explain what suffering can do for you and for those around you. Because what began to happen when people began to see how our suffering in the middle of pain freed us to take a step out of this ridiculous world and put one into beautiful heaven, it changed our values. It changed the values of many of us, many of those around us. It deepened relationships deeper than we could have ever imagined. It had a ripple effect of impact on other people. And frankly, I don't know how I could have lived life with just losing a child. But losing a child and seeing the ripple effects expand the kingdom, I'm telling you, that makes it bearable. And when this happens, we see this in Paul, right? Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians. Paul certainly had one foot here in the world, did he? And one foot in eternity. I'd love to stay with you, but I'd really love to be here. But I'll keep this foot here as long as I can until God rips it out. I'll keep it right here, and I'll keep serving and helping and loving and caring and sharing and growing and living with you and do everything I can because I can't do it without your help, but with your help, I can. Keep praying for me, but I can't wait to be on the other side. And that's not quitting. That's changing your value system. And when that happens, when your values change, you know what else changes? Your focus changes. And when your focus changes, your expectations change. And when your expectations change, your relationship with others are deepened. The relationships become more profound. And in suffering, the relationships become more meaningful. They become more powerful. And the price that you are willing to pay to love others increases beyond anything that easy life could ever produce. Easy life is cheap. And there is no generosity in easy life. But hardship brings generosity and sacrifice and love and deep relationships only if you know Christ and you trust his sovereign hand. So my prayer for you today, pray for us today, that as we leave here, whether you're going through suffering, whether it's just around the corner and you don't know about it, or whether you've gone through it in the recent past, that you can begin to transform your thought process into saying, that suffering is a gift. It's going to deepen my relationships, change my values, expand the kingdom, 
and it will allow me to love my brothers and sisters in Christ in a far deeper way than I ever could from a life that looks like an easy chair.